Parshas B'Shalach, emulating him. When our forefathers stood at the edge of Yamsuf, looking over their backs at the enemy closing in on them, they were filled with terror. Because it wasn't Stam, an enemy. The Mitzrim were boiling with anger. They had been laid very low because of us. They had just suffered ten makos, one after the other, and then watched helplessly as we made a triumphant escape, taking along with us all of the wealth of Mitzrayim. And so the Mitzrim were intent now, not only on regaining their property, but on taking revenge. They were armed to the teeth, and there was no place for the Amusrol to flee. In front of them was the impenetrable sea, and behind them was the vengeful army of Paro with 600 chosen war chariots and all chariots of Egypt, under the leadership of the best generals. And so, they became very much afraid. Everybody knows what happened next. The Am Yisrael cried out, and the Yod Chazaka of Hashem split the Yamsuf in two, and they passed through to safety. As their enemies pursued them into the sea, the waters came crashing down and drowned them. The enemy sank like stones into the depths of the sea, and they were utterly destroyed. Now when our forefathers stood at the other side of the Yamsuf and witnessed this unequaled spectacle, a tremendous excitement seized them. They were electrified by what took place. They were exhilarated by the tremendous experience of being snatched from the jaws of death by the hand of Hashem. And in their gratitude, they stood up together and sang Shira to Hashem. That itself was a tremendous achievement. No question about it. To sing to Hashem for what He does for you, that's already a great perfection of character. And yet, we understand that there must have been something that the Am Yisrael undertook that day. When something big happens, when a great salvation occurs, people make an idorim, and they promise to try to repay HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the great benefit that he bestowed upon them, like it states in Tehillim. When Kos Yeshua Tesa, when you lift up the cup of salvation, then Nedarai Hashem Ashalem, you have to pay off your vows to Hashem. And so it pays to ask, what neder did the Am Yisrael take upon themselves as they stood there on the edge of the Yamsuf? Now, when we study the Shira that they sang to Hashem on that day, we see that there are many ideas there, many teachings and lessons that can be gathered therefrom. But in the whole Shira Sayam, we find only one obligation that they took upon themselves in return for this great Yeshua, only one promise that they made collectively. At that time, they took upon themselves an oath, and they swore to Hashem as follows. Zekeli, this is my Hashem, they said. Ve'anvehu, and I am going to beautify him. Naveh means beautiful. Ve'anvehu means I will make him beautiful. And so the Am Yisrael stood at the seashore and said, We are so thankful to you, Hashem, that we're making now an eternal promise to you. From here on in, we will aggrandize you. We will glorify you all of our lives. That's what the Jewish nation chose as its function on the day. 
that they were saved from drowning in the sea. They dedicated their lives and the lives of their children forever and ever to the one great task, the one great function of Gadolul Hashem Iti. Let's make Hashem great in the world. And if that's the one thing they chose, you must say, it's a pretty big deal. Now, the plain meaning, of course, is that we are going to spend the rest of our history talking about the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And so you know now, one of our most important jobs in this world, we have to praise Hashem. You should always think and always talk about HaKadosh Baruch Hu to ourselves and to everyone else. That's what the promise was. As Jews, we're going to let the world know how great our Hashem is. Hallelujah, Hashem kol goyim. We speak to the world and tell them. We are expected to go out and tell it to all the nations. We say it every day. Hodu la Hashem kiru bishmo. Hodu ba'amim alilotav. Hodu means elevate. Hodu la Hashem means to make him great. Call out. Proclaim in his name, speak in the name of Hashem, and make known among the people his deeds. And our forefathers were proud of their mission, and they fulfilled it. That's why, in the ancient times, we spoke to Goyim, not because we wanted to make them Geirim. There's no mitzvah to convert Goyim, unless they come asking for it. But there certainly is a mitzvah to let the world know the truth. And so that's what they did in the days of old. And there were results. There were remarkable results. When we see that, Shlomo HaMelech had a thousand wives, princesses from all over the Near East. You have to understand it was a demonstration, a recognition by all the kings that Shlomo's words were having an effect on them. And they were happy to have their daughters marry him, even though they were only one out of a thousand wives. This was because Shlomo was spreading the word. He was fulfilling the promise made at the Yamsuf of Zekeli Ve'anvehu. Much later too, in the times of the Churban Ba'is Sheni, you must know that the practices of Yahadus, of Judaism, were widespread among the nations. It's remarkable how many people among the Gentiles were sympathetic to many Jewish mitzvahs and kept them. Papea, the wife of Nero, the emperor, was a very firm woman. She kept Judaism. She couldn't become a Giores because it was a danger. She'd lose her life in Rome. But it's openly known that Popea, the emperor's wife, kept Judaism. And later, when Nero disappeared from sight, he also joined the Amisroel. The Goyim say he was assassinated. But I told you once that I saw in the Encyclopedia Britannica, it stated there, that although Nero was assassinated, but still after his death, there were persistent reports that he was seen in different parts of Italy. And our Chachamim tell us the inside story. Our sages tell us in Gemargitin that he ran away and he became a Ger. Of course, he did it on the sly. Had they known he was alive, they would have looked for him and they would have assassinated him. The Romans wouldn't stand for that. We know also that all over the Near East, very many practice Yahadus without becoming Geirim. In one of the books that Virgil wrote, Virgil was an ancient writer, a famous poet, 
And he writes there that he was talking to an important Roman that he wanted to speak with. And the Roman said, Not today. It's the 33rd Sabbath. Now there's only one Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath. This Roman aristocrat is telling Virgil he won't talk business today because it's Shabbos. Now the Mephorshim on Virgil tried to explain what is meant, the 33rd Shabbos. Some say it means Yom Kippur. But whatever it is, it's remarkable. A prominent Roman said, I cannot see you today. It's the Sabbath. Jewish businessmen, when they came to Chadayav, spoke about Hashem. Chadayav was a near eastern country. It was called Abiyadin. Jews traveled there for business, but they always kept in mind the business of Zeh, Keli, Vianvehu. We know that they spoke to the king, and they spoke to the queen, and they made Geirim out of them. Izates, the king of Chadayev, became a Geir. He forsook the religion of his own countrymen, and Helena, his queen, became a Gioris, a very from Gioris. Our sages tell us in Gemara Nazir that she undertook to be a Nazir for seven years. Seven years! And for seven years, she kept her Naziris. Then she came to Yerushalayim to bring her Kobonus. And the Chachamim told her that a Nazir cannot be in Chutz La'aretz. Chutz La'aretz is like a cemetery. Metame betumas meis. The sages told her that she has to stay in Yerushalayim and start all over again. And that's what she did. In the times of the early Middle Ages, there was a country called Kuzar. The Kuzarim were a warlike nation, a Tartar people in Asiatic Europe. And Jewish businessmen traveled through the land of the Kuzarim, spoke to the king, and he became a Geir. It's a remarkable story, a well-known fact. The Melech of the Kuzarim was a Geir. Now such a thing, hundreds of years of Gentiles, prominent Gentiles, seeking out Hashem, could only be because of our forefathers. They didn't keep quiet. They couldn't keep quiet because they had made a promise. We're going to aggrandize you. We'll speak about your greatness wherever we go. And so, wherever they went, they carried aloft with pride the banner of Yahadus. They spoke about Hashem's greatness and made him beautiful in the eyes of everyone. Of course, today we must limit ourselves. In those days, the nations were the only ones who needed to hear it. But today... There are plenty of Jews who are deaf and dumb, and so we can't afford to waste our time going to Africa or to Norway. We have to talk to the Jews right here in Flatbush, in Eretz too. A lot of Jews need to be spoken to. And the truth is that before you speak to the Jews here in Flatbush, you have to speak to the one Jew that's most important to you, and that's yourself. You should always be reminding yourself about Hashem's greatness, that's why we daven so much. In my first shul, we had a Gentile neighbor, an old man, right next door. One afternoon, we were walking into the shul to daven mincha. I heard him say to his daughter, What is it with these Jews? All day, back and forth, back and forth to the synagogue. Don't they ever finish praying? The answer is, no, we never finish praying. When we pray... We're talking to ourselves. We're busy praising Hashem so that we can hear it. 
That's why Pesuke de Zimra is so important. You're talking to yourself. You know, sometimes the yeshiva boy comes to davening late in the morning, just before Barhu, and he feels happy. He's getting Barhu in. He feels like he accomplished something today. Oh no! You're missing Pesuke de Zimra. All the halukas. You're missing out on the great function of Ve'anvehu. And I will beautify you. It's not only a national obligation. It's an oath that devolves on every individual. I will beautify him by speaking about his greatness. That's the plain meaning. And that's the job of every single Jew. Every man and woman, every boy and girl has to be busy fulfilling the oath that we took on that great day of praising Hashem as much as possible. That's the importance of Pesuke de Zimra. You should be on time. In some shuls, you have to come early. But no matter, if you want to fulfill the oath that we made on that day, you should be early and say every word with gishmak. Enjoy the honey of every word of praising Hashem. Because that is our function. That's what we promised at Kriyas Yamsuf. I'm going to beautify him. Now, there are many ways that we fulfill this promise. There's not merely one way. And all of them are true. On the Pasuk, our sages tell us, Make his mitzvahs beautiful. It means that whatever belongs to Hashem and his Torah, we're going to go out of our way to make it as beautiful as possible. All the mitzvahs are to us beautiful. We make sure to see all the beauty in Torah things. We love all the methods of practicing Judaism. Everything connected with our nation. Of course, it means the Torah of our nation and the Torah practices. Everything connected with the service of Hashem is beautiful. That's why to us, the most precious object is a mezuzah, more than the most expensive jewelry. Tefillin tzitzis, that's the glory of the nation. We take pride in demonstrating and displaying all these signs that Hashem gave us, that we are His people. Of course, living among Gentiles, many Jews lose that viewpoint. Even the Fruma become jaundiced against Jewish attitudes and habits. And therefore... It's important at all times to remember, to recollect this vow that we made there, that everything that's Jewish is beautiful. Of course, if it's not Hashem's, then it's not Jewish. It can be Hebrew. It can be in the land of Israel. If it's not Hashem's, if it's not Torah, then it's not beautiful. But whatever belongs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, His mitzvahs and His Torah and His ways are beautiful. And we go out of our way to make them beautiful in order to make him beautiful, to aggrandize him. Because we say that if he commanded it, that's what matters most. And so we try to buy more beautiful mezuzahs. We try to beautify the Shabbos by setting a beautiful table. We try to beautify the mitzvahs of tefillin, of lulav, of sukkah. All the mitzvahs we try to beautify in honor of Hashem. Lulav na'eh, when sukkahs comes, so you acquire beautiful lulav. Tzitzis na'eh, your tzitzis should be beautiful. So if you're buying an esrog, not only spend money for a kosher one, but give a little extra for a beautiful one. And if you're able to put it in a handsome container, so as you march to the synagogue, through the streets, 
people should admire that beautiful container, and they see that you really love the mitzvahs, which means you love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You're trying to aggrandize Him, to glorify Him. Whatever you use for a mitzvah to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it should be beautiful. That's certainly a good idea. Certainly that's a way of glorifying Him. It's true, and it's included in this vow that our forefathers made. But we're going to see now a different explanation of the oath that we took to glorify the name of Hashem. We're going to hear from Abba Shaul, who is an expert in explaining the words of the Torah. And in Masech the Shabbos, he comes along and gives a twist to these words. Abba Shaul Omer, Abba Shaul says, What does ve'anvehu mean? So he makes a play on words. And he says, anvehu can be read like this. Ani vihu, I and he. It means, I am going to be like him. It's a play on words. An vihu, I will beautify him, means, I'm going to be like Hashem. Now let's explain that. Because most people, when they learn this Gemara, they take it to mean that it's not the real Peshat. It seems like the Peshat says one thing. That you have to glorify Hashem. And along comes the drash and says, Ani vehu, resemble him. We're going away from the Peshat of, I'll beautify him, I'll glorify him. And now we're saying something else. I will emulate him. I will follow in his ways and adopt his characteristics. We understand that Va'an vehu really means, I will make him beautiful. Only that Abba Shaul is going away from the plain meaning of I will glorify him. And he's putting an entirely different meaning into the words. But we must know a general principle about the words of Chazal. That in most cases their drash is actually the omek hapshat. It's the profound pshat. If you analyze the plain meaning more deeply, you'll see that it includes what the Chachamim tell us. Abba Shaul is not forsaking the real pshat. He's not contradicting the first meaning. He's giving an insight, a more delicate insight into the original meaning. And so we'll explain the principle as follows. It's a fact of human nature that when you look up to somebody, when you admire somebody, you tend to imitate that person. Don't we see in everyday society that the poor try to ape the rich? They do whatever they can to resemble the ones that they admire. That's why 50 years ago, all Jewish girls in America were named Shirley. At that time, there was an actress called Shirley. I don't want to say her last name. It's too much honor for her. And so, all over the country, women came home from the theater and told their husbands that when they have their baby girl, they're going to take to themselves the great honor of giving their daughter the name of that actress. You walked on the street, and all you heard was Shirley. Shirley, Shirley, everybody was a Shirley. There was an actor named Gary, so a whole generation of Jewish boys became Gary. Then came an actor named Barry, and a whole generation of boys in the Jewish world became Barry. Now, Lahavil, people who aren't so dumb, if you're not a dumb American, so you emulate better people, but that's the nature of man. He'll imitate what he admires. You know, all the Lubavitchers wear their brim turned down. Why? Because the Rebbe has a brim turned down. Their Rebbe wears a hat 
with the brim down in front. So all the Hasidim have the same fashion. Not only Lubavitch. All Hasidim try to look like the Rebbe everywhere. That's why when the movement of Hasidis began, all the Hasidim, when they dressed up for Shabbos, they looked like their Rebbe's. It wasn't merely a matter of pretending to be what they weren't. They looked up to the Rebbe. It's a compliment to their Rebbe. If you love your Rebbe, you want to look like him. That's one of the great things you find by the Hasidim. Every Chosid tries to look like a Talmud Chochem and the Rebbe. Why? Because that's his ideal. He looks up to them. Here is a man, a truck driver. I saw it yesterday. He's driving a big Mahadrin truck. And he comes out and he looks like a Hasidish Rebbe. You see that all the time. What's that about? A Rebbe driving a truck. It's not a Rebbe who is a truck driver. It's a truck driver who's trying to be a Rebbe. Because that is his ideal. That's who he looks up to. And that's the biggest compliment you can give someone. If you'll find somebody who is emulating you, he's dressing like you and adopting your mannerisms, you must realize that that's a very big compliment. The fact that someone considers your ways worthy of imitation is a demonstration that he admires you. In fact, it's the biggest compliment you can give someone. When people emulate you, it's because they admire you. And so, Along comes Abba Shaul, and he tells us, you want to aggrandize Hashem? You want to fulfill your promise of ve'anvehu, of making him beautiful and great? The best way is, ani ve'hu, I and him, I'm going to be like him. That, says Abba Shaul, is the plain peshat of ve'anvehu. It still means, I'm going to beautify him. But how will I do it? How am I going to glorify him? Ani vihu. I'll try to be like him. By trying to be like he is, by imitating him. In all the Midas, all the qualities of character, which are described about HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Torah, I will try to emulate him. And the Jewish nation did that. Josephus testifies to that. Josephus, you should know, was not a Darshan. He wasn't a very from Jew either. But he had the good sense to understand this. We have a God that is perfect, he writes. And therefore, our nation follows his attitudes. He's speaking there about the nations of the world. And he says, the gods of the nations have the vices, and the worshippers have adopted those vices. The gods of Rome and Greece were known to him, and they were invested with every kind of wickedness. And this was imitated by their worshippers. The Egyptians worshipped the baboon, he said. And so all people in Egypt emulate the baboon. A baboon is jumping up and down in a cage and the people come and bow down to him. Soon they begin acting like baboons themselves. You became like your god. It's human nature. They worshipped the serpent too. They admire him. And so it's natural that they began adopting his mannerisms and they became serpents in their behavior. Josephus said that. He says the people admired their gods and they acquired the qualities of these animals. But the Am Yisrael, says Josephus, they have the perfect God. The God with all the exceptional qualities. The most perfect of qualities. And because they emulated the one true Hashem, that's why they acquired exceptional qualities of character. 
Josephus made that statement. It's a remarkable thing for a politician to say. But he said it because he's saying what was well known and famous among the Jewish people. It was an ideal. Unfortunately, a lot of Jews today never heard of it, even from Jews. It's an ideal for a Jew to study the ways of Hashem. And it became our ideal, a national ideal. On that day, when our forefathers stood at the Yamsuf, and they said together, We are so full of gratitude to you, Hashem, that we take upon ourselves to forever make your name beautiful and glorious. Now, when we want to glorify Hashem, there are various things that we could do. You can aggrandize him by beautifying his mitzvahs. You can sing his praises wherever you go. And that's all wonderful, very good. But the best way to glorify Hashem is by trying to emulate his midas. Ani vehu! I will resemble him. That's worth more than all the words in the world. You want to elevate Hashem. You want to glorify him. Study his midas as described in the Torah and imitate them. That's the vow of our forefathers. Ani vehu! I and he. Have domelo. Be like him. Strive to resemble Hashem. If you want to really glorify Hashem, then you'll demonstrate it by imitating his ways and practicing them in your own life. And so we begin to understand now how vital, how urgent is the function of transforming our personality by emulating the perfect ways of Hashem. It's not only the way to be successful in this world, the way to be happy and get along with others. Even an Irishman should try to change his character if he wants to live successfully, if he wants to stay married and keep his job, if he wants to get along with his neighbors. He'll do that. But we're not talking about that now. It's much more than that. For us, perfecting our character means we're fulfilling the oath that the Am Yisrael made to Hashem on that day. He saved us from destruction. And that's why the subject of transformation of character among Jews is one of the major forms of Avodah Hashem. It's because you are becoming something. A me'ain of the Midas of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So here's a man full of praise to Hashem. He comes to Shul and he's holding his gartel and he's saying, Az Yoshir, B'kol Ram. Out loud, he's shaking and he's praising Hashem. He says it with a special niggin too. Woohoo! It's beautiful. And that's how it should be. It doesn't say, Az Shar Moshe. Chazal say, Shar Lo Neemar. It doesn't say they sang. Ella Yashir. That they're going to sing, which means forever and ever. He saved us on that day from destruction. It was a great experience that we'll never stop singing about. We promise we're going to sing your praises forever, Hashem. But what happens after davening? This man comes home and he's frustrated. Where's my breakfast? He's impatient. He's angry. Ooh, that man is not really praising Hashem. Of course he is, but he's not thinking about what he's saying. He's just putting on a show when he's in shul. You know when you praise Hashem, when you come home and you emulate him. That's what you were saying in shul anyhow. This is my kale, and I will make him great by means 
of imitating his ways. So on the way home from shul, he's thinking, what do I know about Hashem? Well, I know he's an Erech Apayim. Everybody remembers that. Some people say that in Tachanim. Erech Apayim. He's long patient. Patience. That's a great midah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If he wasn't patient with us, we wouldn't be around here anymore. He's always giving us another chance and another chance and another chance. He's Erech Apayim. And that means I have to be Erech Apayim too. I'm sure you didn't think about this much. Well, you should start thinking about it right now. That's what we promised at Kiryas Yamsuf. I will be like him. I will emulate him. And it's not enough merely to say, I decided to be like Hashem. I'll sign the contract, the commitment. No. If you sign a contract, but you cannot produce, then it's not a good signature. To sign a contract means you have to make up your mind. You're going to work on your character. So he comes into the house and he's thinking, just like Hashem is patient, I will be patient. Oh, that's ve'anvehu. I'm praising him. That's the praise of Hashem. Merely saying praises, that's cheap. It's words flowing out of your mouth that don't mean anything. But imitating, that's a real praise. That's a real compliment. It's worth all the words in the world. So when you get married and your wife is bothersome, let's say she talks a lot, You'll be patient. A wife has to be patient with her husband. Sometimes he's wild. So you're looking at him and you're thinking, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to keep my mouth closed and be patient. You're patient with everybody at home. The children, the neighbors. If you're a Rebbe of Talmidim and one Talmud is fresh and you have a Yetzir Hara, you want to throw him out. No! Be Patient. If you're dealing with customers, you'll be patient. Here's a grocer, and a child brings back an open can of sardines. My mother didn't mean this kind of sardines. She wants a different kind. Could be. He's boiling inside. What will he do with that open can of sardines? It's for the garbage now. But the grocer is quiet, and he takes it back. Now it could be he does it, because he knows customers are too valuable to throw away. Better to throw away the sardines. So he keeps quiet. But he should add another thought. More important than customers is the oath that he's trying to keep. Now to keep that oath, you first have to learn about his ways. And that is a task. You have to learn it. Without learning, you won't know. And so one of our most important functions in life is that we have to look all the time with our eyes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to see what we should be emulating. Now you have to know where to look. How do you look? If you sit on the street and you look at the sky, you won't see anything. If you don't look at the Torah, then you wouldn't know. It's only those people who are accustomed to the drochim of Hashem as revealed in the Tanakh, in the Sephorim. These people become imbued with these ideas. In the Torah you'll find and you'll look and you'll learn all the ways of Hashem. You have to put your mind to it for that purpose. However, otherwise, you'll never see it. Here's a boy 
learning Baba Kama, and he's learning all about the dinim of Nezikin. He has a good head. He's sitting, learning from a Gemara, learning Pedek Meruba, about the dinim of stealing, about how a Ganov has to pay Kefel. But you take a look. You see his Gemara. This Gemara that he's learning from, where is it taken from? He stole it from a synagogue. He's learning about stealing, but the Gemara that he's learning from is stolen from the synagogue. A true story, by the way. He stole it from my synagogue. I said to him, look, you're learning Meruba, but the Gemara comes from my shul. Who gave you permission to take it? You're high of Kefel already for stealing. And even though you'll return the Gemara, Al-Pidin, you have to pay two Gemaras if there are witnesses against you. And so you see that it's possible for people to look with their eyes in the Sefer and not see anything. And therefore, when you look in the Chumash, you have to look with a purpose, with intention. We have to make it an ideal to read the Torah of the Gemara. The Gemara is full of it. The Dark Hashem. Only when you're not interested in that, you're not going to see it. You'll see everything else except for that. You'll see the dinim of Kefel, the dinim of Dalid, the Hay, and you'll learn the Toysfus. You'll learn Meforshim too. And sometimes you'll say good Peshetel yourself, but you're missing the entire point because you're not looking to learn the Darche Hashem. Only if you're looking to see the ways of Hashem in order to emulate them, that's how you will find them. If you start looking, you'll find the Torah is full of the ways of Hashem, constantly. And once you begin seeing His ways, you must have a plan. How am I going to put them into practice? You might have to find teachers. There are aitzes, there are schemes, there are strategies, there are tricks to make it easier. There are many sephorim, in English too, many sephorim, toimer devoira, cheshbon anefesh, orchot sadikim, so many. But whatever it is, you must start a career of working on your character and transforming your personality. That's the great job that a Jew has to do. I remember in Slabaki Yeshiva we learned these Sephardim. In the Mir Yeshiva in Europe, many learned these Sephardim every day. There was a half an hour of Musr in those Yeshivas. And the Musr Sephardim were put on the table and each student chose one according to his interest. And among those Sephardim was a Toymer Devoira and Cheshbon HaNefesh. Generations and generations of young idealistic men studied these Sephardim. And to some extent, they profited. Some more, some less. There's no question. Everyone would profit if this was incorporated in the curriculum of yeshivas and Beis Yankov's today. No question about it. But we can't wait for that. Everyone has this one life to try and become what our Shavuot requires us to become. It takes some time, some practice and effort. But that's included in what we undertook to fulfill. Five minutes a day, you can't put into fulfilling the oath we took on that great day of salvation. You should know that there were wise men, even among the Gentiles, who gave this avoider much more than five minutes. There was one wise goy, a true story, who every Saturday night, he told his family that he was going into a room by himself. Please don't disturb me, he said. Every Saturday night he spent time reflecting on his life. A true story in recent history. I'll tell you something else. 
a different goy that you know by name. Benjamin Franklin spent a great deal of time thinking about himself. He made a calendar, and on the calendar, he put certain attitudes that he wanted to work on. Patience, humility, guarding his speech. Now, Benjamin Franklin wasn't trying to emulate Hashem. He wasn't thinking about that, only that he wanted to live successfully. And so he identified 13 virtues, and he worked on one per week. And he had a calendar worked out according to the year, and four times a year he repeated it. By the end of the year, he repeated all 13 qualities of character four times. It was the 13 virtues, 13 weeks, and he repeated it four times each year, thinking and trying to train himself in these virtues. So you see, there were sensible people, Goyim, who worked on themselves, and they gained prudence, they gained insight into themselves. But a Torah Jew stands to gain much more than Benjamin Franklin if he puts time away for such a project. A Jew who follows this way in life will grow infinitely greater than even the best Gentile because he's not merely preparing for living righteously in this world, for getting along with others. He's doing infinitely more than that. He's fulfilling this great Shavuah that our forefathers made at Har Sinai of Zeh Keli Ve'anvehu. This is my Hashem, and I'm going to glorify him. I will beautify him. It's a very important oath, and the Jewish people throughout their history attempt to fulfill it. We are alive only because of you, Hashem, and we promise that we will spend our days making you great in this world. We are singing your praises all the time. Hodu Hashem kiru bishmo, hodiu ba we try to advertise Hashem to everybody. We teach Hashem to our little children. Children should know Hashem is giving them bread. He's giving them ice cream. He's giving them candy. Hashem gave you the candy. We teach our children. We have to tell ourselves too. Make a bracha. Thank you, Hashem, constantly. You have to remind yourself and your children. Baruch, atah, Hashem, constantly. You have to remind yourself about Hashem. And Hisna'e Lifonov Bamitzvis will make everything connected to him as beautiful as we can. But most importantly, we can never lose sight of what Abba Shaul taught us. We swore on that day, Anivehu, we are going to resemble you. That's the greatest praise of Hashem, that we want to be like him. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. Fulfilling the oath of salvation. When our people were saved from certain ruination at Yamsuf, we sang enthusiastically and we accepted an oath of Anvehu. I shall glorify him. We glorify him by praising him at all times to everyone who will listen, but especially to ourselves. We beautify him and anything connected to his service. It follows that we do everything that we can to emulate him. This week I will, Belineder, dedicate five minutes each day to studying about one of Hashem's ways and endeavoring to emulate Him.